through Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Today we have a special episode. It is part one of three of a recent World UX Roundtable event. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. You're very welcome to this World UX Roundtable. Although we have been talking about UX and specifically international UX for quite some time, this conversation is critical today more than ever before. The new global reality has triggered an unprecedented digital acceleration for businesses across every industry. Today, more than ever, Companies need to become digital first to survive. And with that, it is crucial that those global digital experiences are comparable to the native user experiences. Successful digital forward businesses put CX and UX first and embed global readiness into both elements. This is World UX. And in this round table, we're going to discuss the why, the what, and the how of World UX. As Priscilla said, please feel free to ask any questions or add any questions with the Q&A button, and we're going to have a Q&A session at the end of the presentation. So first of all, I would like to give a very warm welcome to Tarja, Sergio, Pat, Alberto, and Ryan, and a special thanks to Ryan. He's in Seoul in Korea, and it's quite late in the evening for him. Thank you for being part of this roundtable, and welcome. I'm going to um, briefly introduce our panelists today, and then we're going to um, also ask for a little bit of information about you, the audience here with us um, this afternoon. So first off, Tarja Karjalainen, she's the localization program manager at Aura and is based in Finland. She's a longtime advocate of international UX and CX. She has previously led a team of UX writers and localization managers, and has also run international UX-driven localization programs. She features in many industry blogs, podcasts, webinars, and she's also a regular speaker at Lockworld. And you may not know that Tarja's favorite time of the year is Christmas, and she loves to make unusual gingerbread houses. This year, she plans on making a gingerbread cuckoo clock. Welcome, Tarja. Thank you so much. Here. Next is Sergio Valero Notari. He's the UX writing manager at Doctoralia in Barcelona. And he's also an online teacher with Creana, uh, where he has created the first UX writing online course in Spanish. He's also offline lecturer and assistant professor on content strategy and UX writing also in Barcelona. And Sergio loves to work listening to Final Fantasy and epic music tracks. He then feels like he's riding a dragon and throwing fire, just that with words. And when a song with any lyrics pops out, mm -hmm. trance stage is finished. Next up, hi Sergio, sorry. Hi. <laughs> Next up is Pat Higgins, his localization lead at Verizon Connect in Dublin. And Pat's experience in the localization industry spans over two decades. He started as an engineer with Microsoft, and he's been a long-term champion of the UX and localization overlap and the importance of written content, quality written content for both. 
In his spare time, Pat makes liquors um, where he adds spirits, gin or vodka, some sugar or sugar syrup and flavorings such as fruits or herbs. So, you know, I think I, I can see a side business here um, for, for Pat. So looking forward to um, when we can meet again and maybe taste some of those uh, lovely liquors. Welcome, Pat. Thank you very much. Next is Ryan, Ryan Moraz. He's the head of UX localization at Line in Seoul, Korea. And he holds what many of us are certainly, I consider the ideal role. And he oversees both UX writing and localization for the global messaging app, uh, which is used by over 200 million people and leads a team of linguists, microcopy experts and storytellers. And again, Ryan, similar to, to um, uh, Sergio, he loves music as well. He has seen hundreds of bands perform. He has occasionally even crossed the world just to see certain concerts and not being able to see live music is his biggest complaint about the coronavirus era. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. And last but not least, we have Alberto Freira. He's user research manager at Vodafone in London. He's also the author of Universal UX Design, uh, Building Multicultural Experience, uh, a reference must read in this particular topic. He's also a guest lecturer as part of the User Experience Design uh, Master of Science at Kingston University in the UK. And Alberto is passionate about cinema. He has done theater in the past and is actually working on a screenplay about a Jesuit priest in war-torn Afghanistan. Welcome, Alberto. Thank you very much. Thank you very much once again for being here, for taking part in the roundtable. Um, to everybody who's joining us live today, we would love to know um, where you're coming from, your background, uh, where you are in your journey, your awareness um, of, of UX and localization, what we've come to call world UX. So you're, you're gonna see a poll popping up on your screen in just a few moments. And we'd really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes to fill it in. So I think we have that poll. Okay. Perfect. In the meantime, while you fill in the poll in your own time, we're going to turn over to our panel and ask them to share their experience, their journey, and specifically, why do they believe that it is key that UX design slash UX research and UX content writing and localization come together? So Pat, I'm, I'm going to start with you if that's okay. Yep. with your 20 years experience in the industry. All right, thanks, Maria. Hi, everyone. Um, so I started in the local industry um, back in 97. Um, I was QA vendor for a while and then joined Microsoft as an engineer for about 14 years. It's 16 if you include some contracting time. Uh, when I left Microsoft, I was working in Office, which means we were localizing in about 100 languages. The last six years have been with Verizon Connect, um, the role there is just um, the usual translation stuff and then investigating uh, requirements for going into new countries and then you're talking to the devs about requirements for basically to prevent issues before they happen. Everybody knows prevention is better and cheaper. Um, and so I think working with the devs to prevent stuff got my interest going in design. 
And then also with the text that we had to translate, sometimes we didn't have writers at the time, so some of the text wasn't the best. And so that got my interest in writing. And so I did some online courses for that. You looked into um, natural control languages, that sort of thing. Basically any kind of rule that would help me, guide me uh, in getting better English text so that we had a better source for the translations. You know, simplify the text, lower the reading level, less technical terms, unless it's industry specific, that sort of stuff. So that's where my interests in these areas have grown. And so why these three together? Uh, for me, they're all about creating the best design um, for the widest number of potential users, really. Um, they each have a different starting point, but they all have the same destination. Um, they take a different path to that same destination and they perhaps face different problems, but they all have the common goal of trying to create that better product for, for the huge number of users that we expect and that we want. Um, UX will bring the design, that's the fix. Uh, it's the solution to their problem, and that's great. But then content can sharpen that and clarify. It shows what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. Because sometimes an icon on its own won't explain a, an issue, and you need the text. And then I feel that localization can help bring a wider world view to perhaps the other two disciplines that don't have that view. Uh, in the way a UX person might say, okay, this works for desktop, but not for mobile, uh, but we need both. Uh, the localization person says, well, this works in English, but not French. It works for Western Europe, but not Eastern Europe. It works for Japanese and Chinese, but it won't work for Baidai. And you can be in the business of making the best product, but it is a business and to get paid, you have to have something that users want. And so our job is to tell designers, you know, change X to Y to fix your issue and it appeals to more people. So for me, all these three disciplines are needed to create the even better product for your customer, wherever they are, whatever their culture, whatever their language and whatever currency they're paying you in. Um, these three groups are the world UX and they create the world product for the world user. And that's how I look at it. Great, thank you, Pat. Taj, from your perspective, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, you've been a, a, similar to Pat, a, a kind of a, a long time advocate. Why is it important, key, that these three elements come together? Yeah, um, well, I, I mean, I've been managing localization from this uh, quite a wide perspective for, for a while now. Uh, and I've shifted, I, I started as a translator myself, and then I've been a UX writer, I've been on the vendor side, I've tried all these uh, different hats. Um, and now I've, lately I've been shifting from looking at just the UI or, or a website to looking at experiences, international experiences, and looking at the entire user experience of a product. So it's about the whole journey the customer sees and experiences. And from the localization manager's point of view, it's really, really easy to see where the international user gets kind of forgotten uh, because that's where the language support usually, usually uh, ends. But then, you know, there are parts of the journey where you might not uh, offer support in multiple languages or you have neglected to see differences, for instance, in the way that these users like to use apps or, or browse or search for things. So these things are very easy to see. 
and that's kind of it's, it's a sad thing when you notice that this was designed uh, for a particular set of users and then there there's this big part of the users who, who don't necessarily feel that this is designed for them um you know for instance being able to read a newsletter in your own language or or being addressed with your uh, first name or, or your last name first instead of your first name first like you know this is a localization issue for newsletters and and all of that kind of email messaging uh, so it's easy to see the gaps um and this is why it's really really um important to get these three things together like pat mentioned um you know we are designing the product for our user and the user is our user no matter where in the world they are and which language they speak so so that we need to make sure that we are giving the same kind of level of experience and same level of quality of a product to all our users and kind of don't put them into this kind of language or, or culture uh, or tier boxes, so to say. And it's really this cooperation of this kind of these three elements, UX, um, copy and, and localization, where it's from the beginning, the design, design supports different languages and different cultures. It's, it's designed for all users, not just 40%, uh, and then the rest gets a one-to-one -one translation of, of that product. So this is really important. If you want to really ensure that kind of uh, a global experience or a local experience for all your users, then you really need to bring all of these three elements together uh, and all of these people who, who uh, work towards the same goal. Um, so yeah, that's why I think it's really important. Great. Great. And Tarja, you alluded obviously to the design element, which is the, the beginning really. And um, Alberto, you're obviously um, coming from a perspective of UX design and, and research. And I'm wondering what's, again, from your perspective, what, why is it important? You're looking at it from quite a different uh, angle to a, a localization um, a leader, for instance. So tell us, tell us about your perspective. Design has always been linked to localization in internationalization requirements and adapt cultural adaptation. So it's really connected, but um, I think that one of the, the key things that we also have to think of as an industry is really the, the fact that localization teams are often put in a position where they don't feel emancipated enough to bring the feedback or bring the um, requirements that would be necessary for their customers, for the international users to, to the table at a, an early enough stage. And when companies are more and more obviously moving to digital, moving uh, to in this great initiative now with COVID-19 pandemic with the digital acceleration, international markets are just as important or more important than whatever company the company happens to work in. So I think that we really see the rise of international, internationally minded design or uh, UX um, that is geared towards a global market become more and more prominent. And also Alberto, sorry, we, we seem to have a little bit of um, audio issues. I don't know if it's perhaps on my side. You, 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 see, you are fading um, every few seconds. Um, I'm, I'm his not mic sure. might be touching his skin and then blocking the voice. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, sorry for interrupting. Okay, sorry. So I was um, just saying that in terms of the current uh, climate, it's obviously more and more requirement for 
companies to be uh, designing and exploring the experiences that they are deploying with international market sets um, with a different set of priorities. And I think that localization plays a key role in that. And that's all part of um, a mindset shift as well that we as an industry need to, to consider. The way that localization is pitched a lot of times is it's basically about being um, a delivery method for translations or something that is meant to deploy a specific version of a product. And I don't think that in, in the current uh, climate, it's going to be enough to take us as an industry and also the, the business strategies that rule the, the international deployment um, far enough. And so part of it is to change the self-view of lock teams and to work more closely with designers and definitely work more upstream, being more involved in those, in those work streams. But also the fact that the localization teams themselves also need to feel that empowered. They need to understand within the context of their limitations and the limitations of the company, the environment, that they're in, how can they bridge those gaps? How can they actually become, become more acquainted with UX? And I work in research, in UX research. Uh, my team basically deals with research as a block. We deal with every international market as in a, as important a way as possible. So it's very easy to fall in this kind of waterfall um, down-trickling kind of um, model where you basically have a massive locale or a massive language or a massive version of something, and then everything else is just adaptations. And it's convenient, and it's definitely something that, from a process point of view, makes sense. But a lot of it starts with the awareness, and I think that that's one of the things that companies and localization industry in general need to move forward to and need to feel empowered enough to affect that change. And I Basically, that's been also my personal path. I started off as a translator, then moved, as, moved to software localizer, then moved into product management, transitioned then eventually into UX research because um, in order to be close to the customer, that's where it is. It's collecting data directly from the customer. And I think that bringing the localization experience was important in finding out Actually, every market is important. Every market has its own place and has its own requirements. We just need to find a way that as a company or in the, in the industry that we can actually uh, bridge those gaps in an effective way with UX and design and effectively serving a product strategy better that way. Great. Thank you, Alberto. No, I, I love the idea of the emancipation of the localization industry and sort of self-empowerment so, and we'll, we'll certainly look at that uh, a little bit more in detail later on. Ryan, you, I mean, to, to the outside world, it seems like you have this figured out already, right? You're, you're managing UX and localization. Uh, what, ha, I mean, obviously, Line and, and uh, you know, yourself and your role already understand that this is critical. Mm. Um, but how did it come about and, and what does uh, your current role look like? Yeah, so uh, at our at our team here at Line, we are definitely have the two integrated UX writing and localization. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to have those two together. Um, it creates a lot of challenges though as well, and those challenges will obviously you know vary depending on what your organization is like. 
Um, and uh, just to, you know, to echo some of the thoughts of the other panelists, I agree completely that, you know, things are getting more, more globalized and everybody wants to conquer the world. Uh, at the same time, they want to do it um, usually in, mo in the mobile space. And in the mobile space, you know, you're dealing with uh, very small screens, uh, very limited uh, space. And uh, if you want to meet all these users where they are around the world, you have to consider that in their, in their design and then in planning out um, the content that goes in there. So those three, th uh, three things are very linked, I think. Um, just a, a little bit about me. Yeah, I, um, I moved to Korea to teach English. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I thought um, it would be a fun year adventure. I knew I loved language, uh, turned into five years. And I went back to the States and was trying to figure out how to use my Korean skills. And I um, got into uh, gaming. So uh, taking games that were developed in Korea and um, releasing them in the West. So, um, you know, you have a lot longer time to deal with that. And you actually have a lot more space, a lot more flexibility. It's very fun. Um, but after um, deciding to come back to Korea, I took a position with Line. And Line is an interesting company because our uh, products are actually developed in Korea and Japan um, and serviced mainly in Japan, but we also um, are serviced basically in every country and in uh, 20 languages. And so because I think that it grew out of this uh, way that was sort of like you had, um, you sort of started from an international space, uh, the idea of you know, being prepared for localization was pretty important from the beginning. Um, so it's, it's nothing that I personally started to have this, but, um, I think it's very wise that our, um, company has decided to do it. But, you know, again, uh, there's a lot of challenges as well. If you have combining writing and localization, so you have to basically balance, you know, how are you going to do the writing part, which is you want to be very deeply involved in all the aspects of the feature. You want to deeply understand the UX design. You want to deeply understand the content as well and the business needs. And then you also have to balance that with a localization part, which is this actually has to be translated into 20 languages. And if you have a lot of services to manage, like, like our team does, um, you quickly run into resource questions. And how do I actually do this great job for all these languages and still meet what tends to be very tight turnarounds in the mobile space. So that's why I think it's very important to consider these earlier, just like the other panelists have been saying, don't think of it as an afterthought, um, like it often has been, but think about it as an integral part uh, of the design. So yeah, that's my take on it.